Mini episode 1218 of the FDA Lounge is brought to you by Sportsology, delivering unconventional columns and webcasts about sports, TV, music, movies, and more. Follow them on the web at sportsology.com. The FDH Lounge. You want to schedule your life around it. A long time ago, on a gloomy, wet Cleveland spring night, two men stand alone amidst the late night drizzle. Their voices echo across the vacant station parking lot as they debate the merits of the great American radio show that have been missing for far too long. On that night, an idea was born. That idea became the FDH Lounge. Welcome to the FDH Lounge. Hello, everyone. Welcome to FDH Lounge Mini Episode 1218. This is FDH Managing Partner Rick Morris here with two of our fellow FDH Lounge original dignitaries. And this is another version here in our continuing series of the 2020 NFL Draft. And this is specifically part four that we have. And this is our review of the draft for this year. And uh, as we're getting into it, and going through and looking at the winners and losers of the draft that we are seeing here at this early time, in our estimation personally, as well as with the rankings that we have, and you can find it up at the FDH Lounge Multimedia Magazine, the fdhlounge.blogspot.com, specifically 2020 FDH NFL Draft Rankings, doing this off of the Jason Jones Top 75 overall players, and then specifically from there, uh, how teams did in filling their top needs by a mathematical formula, and then a mashup of the two formulas in terms of talent and filling needs, a more comprehensive thing across the board here. As is always the case, or almost always the case here, when we are talking NFL draft on the show, our panel is inclusive of three original FDH Lounge dignitaries, myself, our senior editor Jason Jones, and FDH Lounge original dignitary Chris Galloway. So, Jason, uh, it was your top 75 that we were going off of for the rankings here. That's the baseline for a lot of what we're doing in the analysis, and I uh, look forward to breaking this down with you. Yeah, this was, this was an interesting draft on many fronts. Uh, it looks like we got a lot of teams that uh, feel like they maximize value, especially in day one and day two. Uh, I don't think I see anybody that just did a, a straight-up A-plus. But there are some teams that did some surprising jobs, and we'll get to some of those. Uh, and then there's some, people, some teams that just straight up went to bed. And I, I hate to be blunt about it, but there, there's some in there that are true head scratchers. They really did, uh, in, in some cases. We'll talk about that, and these are not necessarily predictable quarters where that happens, so to speak. Uh, of course, our other panelists uh, today, you can catch this at facebook.com slash the FDH Lounge. He and I doing a live Zoom during the first round of the draft, or the better part of the first round anyways, and uh, it was very entertaining, uh, as per usual, to get on there with my old friend Chris Galloway and break it down such like we are going to do today. So, Chris, good to get back on with you, my man. Always a pleasure, Rick. Always enjoy talking draft, my man. Yeah, yeah. That uh, The three of us, uh, it's always outstanding whenever we get a chance to do this. And uh, I'm going to start on this first one with you, Jason, because Chris and I were kind of wading into this, like I said, on the, the Facebook stream the other night. As far as the presentation of the draft itself, this is going to be a year that we'll always remember. I mean, ho hopefully this is 
the only year it ever has to be like this. Whether there are features, and I'm already seeing it now, like, oh, they should continue to incorporate these things into the draft from here on in. You know, on a voluntary basis, if you want to use Zoom and you want to use remote stuff, fine. But I hope that our society is not in a crisis like this again next year, the year after, any of the years after to where we have to do it this way. So first and foremost, the uh, the unified presentation here, there was no separate NFL Network coverage. It was all just uh, together with uh, ESPN, NFL Network, and ABC, all with the same feed. I'll start with you, Jason, because like I said, Chris and I broke it down a little bit the other night already. Thoughts on how it shook out with the remote draft all the way around? Well... Overall, I, I didn't mind it. Now, I absolutely would echo your sentiment that I'm okay with it, as long as it's necessary. And I hope, uh, specifically, because I plan on flying me and my son out when they have the draft in Cleveland. So yep. I'm really hoping that doesn't change. And I really want him to get full majesty of the effect. Um, but I will say this, and, and pardon the, the joke reference, but the one thing that I kind of, I, I actually stopped watching the action and just started pulling up these CBS sports and just watching their feet. Mm-hmm. Because I, the whole Roger Goodell and no Vanderhoff wing world was starting to get a little <laughs> Yeah. Like, I get it, and it's fine. I thought for the first round he was cute or whatever. But, you know, by the beginning of the third round, the guy looks like he's going to keel over and yeah, I'm sure they could come up with more creative ways to do it. Uh, it would aesthetically keep you on your toes a little bit. Which uh, is what we're used to. You know, we're used to seeing the video packages, Commissioner, the NFL Network, or the ESPN staff. You know, it moves. The draft moves around. So visually, there's a thing that they've mastered there, and this sort of was different. Now, we're doing the best of what we got, and I'm, I'm perfectly fine with that. But yeah, the whole Goodell in his basement. Well, it was one of those things, and I would agree with what you're saying there. And I got to say, Chris, this is something that we didn't focus on as much when we were doing our, our Facebook live stream the other night, largely because, uh, again, we were more focused on going through and uh, talking about what was happening. We were occasionally taking note of what was on the screen. But one of the things that became clear to me subsequently, especially through social media, was I understand that this is a different year. These are tough times. But the whole tragedy palooza that they seem to have going on, like every other prospect, it was a deal of like, as an infant, his torso was used unsuccessfully to plug a major stab wound on his grandmother's abdomen. Like, I don't know why we had to hear about the worst moment of everybody's life in going through and in talking about this. I know you think I'm usually excessively grumpy about these things, but that was one of the things that I took note of. Well, I, you know, I, yes, everything, unfortunately. Everything is clickbait, and uh, right. I think their lack of other content, it, it, it was like, you know, they're sort of like, what else do we do? You know, mm-hmm. um, you know they're not getting the savvy human interest stories to the degree in the interviews in person uh, the way they normally would. So, um, Everybody, y'all, you know, 
time usually to be Adele uh, in his Barco Lounger uh, element there for a while. I didn't mind it all even again. I actually kind of like it by the end when he looked like he just needed a scotch and looked like everybody's grandpa ready to fall asleep. Uh, I kind of, you know, for as much as everybody can't stand Goodell, myself included, it did help to humanize him a little bit. Um, but I saw so I understand that I kind of actually liked the way they did the track. It wasn't so over the top, um, you know, with all the fireworks and just, you know, just totally ridiculous. That I think it's in some ways that this thing has become. Um, I mean, we've even seen a couple of GMs have actually now said, you know what, I'm going to be re- rethinking our approach to things after, you know, next day, next year. Uh, do we really need to be working uh, 15 hour days in the off season on all this uh, analysis and draft, pre draft work? So, there's a couple of GMs are actually saying, you know what, this is kind of an eye opener that maybe we are a little too over the top. Uh, I, and that kind of brings me into a couple one thing, which is I thought my impression of the draft was, and, and maybe this is a function of these guys not overthinking things because they weren't focused on pro days and private workouts and all the other nonsense. Like they had to buy a lot more just on their college tape for these players. Yep. Um, so I felt to me like most of these teams did pretty well in terms of need and value. I saw far less what I thought were features. I saw far more teams addressing better job of addressing need with the Finding that with value, maybe that comes involves overthinking it in terms of some of the, the some of the activities that you can go on and, and say, you now ready for you know be ready to gasp Browns fans who just cannot grasp the idea of what analytics are. This also might have been an exposure because of this that these teams had to rely on analytics and their and their analytics teams even more so than their you know football guys. Um, and I wonder if that is a result of what we saw the last three days in terms of what I thought was generally a wallet thrashing by most uh, NFL teams. Yep. And uh, I wonder if we'll see a shift in the team. And I'm also curious to see how this draft does compared the past one to see if there are less yeah, very much so on all of that, because something we were talking about during our live stream the other night, Chris, I was referencing any number of conversations I'd had during the week off here with FDH Lounge dignitary Ben Chu, who was looking to address a lot of this stuff from a handicapping perspective. He was uh, going into that pool over the weekend, and uh, he had some mixed results on this, some successes and some lack of successes. But in terms of how it was going to play out, we thought, I thought potentially going in that it might be more of a chalk-type draft than usual, and indeed that is exactly what I, th- what I thought it ended up being. And that's a thing where ultimately, Jason, I know that you probably have some thoughts on that, that uh, you, you had teams that were doing a little bit less, uh, again, maybe overthinking or things like that, but 
it seemed like there it was playing in a little bit more predictable of a manner than usual. And indeed, if you look at our mock drafts at the top, you know, you, you and I had a lot of success uh, in that. You and I both uh, nailed the same number of picks overall, which I think was six, which is was fairly decent. If we were if we were using the system that we had uh, in the uh, in the draft guide there, Pro Football Draftology 2020, available on the main page of FantasyDraftDraftHelp.com, uh, you would have won the tiebreaker because you hit your sixth pick later than I did. Uh, you got the pick that Miami had of Austin Jackson, uh, but uh, especially towards the top, it was a little bit more predictable. It seems like than usual. Less kind of weird stuff than usual, and to, to me, I think Chris is right in sort of drawing a line from that to what the circumstances were this year. Yeah, there, there was um, some interesting things here. Um, for starters, uh, let me just jump on what Chris was saying, and hopefully it's just a microcosm of the effect, the effect of the situation we're in on even a macro level, because even I'm like, I don't think I need to go put it in the air, so I used to. Um, but, yeah, there's, there's something to all of this, and I think it would be really intriguing. I hope at least one team tries this, but as we were going through it and seeing what Chris is referring to, um, seeing, yeah, there was a, especially early, there was a dramatic lack of drama. Right. Of thinking he just had to jump real high to get that one guy, probably because they looked at the pace. And then compared to Tate, he also jumped off the page uh, combine-wise, pro-day-wise, whatever. Uh, so, yeah, I think that there may, may be something to that. What would be really cool is if at least one team, when this is over, goes in and says, we're going to parallel this whole process and have, you know, a few guys that just go tape only and then a few guys that do it the old way. And then at the end, See where they come in, but see how far off they are. Because it might be that you were, you know, we're, we're unable to get out of our own way when it comes to all of the stuff that isn't taped. So it's a very intriguing, intriguing situation. Um, and, and then as it pertains to this draft specifically, lack of trade, especially early. Um, no one really reached all that much. Um, I know some people were questioning the uh, the Giants' score pick, but if those listening to us now go back and check our free show, they're going to notice that we talked really high on on Andrew Thomas. Yes. So that I don't think surprised anybody here. Uh, so yeah, I mean, I don't think I saw a reach, a real legitimate first round reach until halfway through, and at that point, is it really all that much of a reach? Probably not. So. Yeah, I think the dynamic creates something different here, and we may not be done with what we just lived through from a drafting perspective and a scout scouting personnel perspective, not a fire perspective. Uh, the first, I can't wait to see how that unfolds, and I do agree, especially in the early going. I think there's a lot of teams that made solid picks where we didn't see a whole lot of teams moving 15 spots to get a guy they it really was and i want to ask you chris because you've talked about this on the show repeatedly in the context specifically of the browns and with paul d podesta and what they're trying to do in terms of any kind of uh process 
moving forward and an a, a, engineered approach to how you go about things. Do you expect that there are going to be multiple teams out there that are going to try and break it down in a manner such as what Jason suggested there in terms of what did we do differently this year and where did it work better and where did it work worse? Do, do you think that that is going to be common for, I won't say all teams, but many teams to take out of the process this year and figure out if the circumstances may have inadvertently helped lead to some successes moving forward? Well, I think the smart teams will do that. Um, and I think there'll be a bunch that won't. Um, but I think the smart teams will be very introspective and, and, and want to look, sit back and not only analyze the results of their draft, but also uh, the other teams that they know maybe operate similarly, so if you're Stefanski and Barry, you know, do you want to pay, pay special attention to New England, Philadelphia, Minnesota, or other teams that are probably more heavily analytically driven? Uh, do you want to, you want to pay attention to see how, how well they get on their picks, because that's a clue as to process and whether the process this year uh, was a good one, and maybe they ought to spend more time um, on the stats and the tape, and less on the uh, you know the workouts and all the other extracurricular stuff that goes on at the end of the, of the college football season. I, I think smart teams will do that. I think they'll they'll look at their process. They'll look at what they did. Uh, like I said, you've got a couple GMs that have already come out and said, "Why are we?" Spending so much time um, grinding away in the office and the offseason and all this stuff when we actually went into this process feeling pretty good and basically working probably half as much. Um, is there, you know, are they finally coming to the realization that a lot of corporate Americans come to, which is, you know, the old cliche of, you know, work smarter, not harder and longer. Uh, so it, it'll be interesting to see. Uh, this is a really it, this is sort of like the forced upon petri dish of experimentation. Um, so from that standpoint, um, I really liked what we what happened this year. And just another wrinkle, and I know I mentioned to you um, the other night, Rick. I, I think this this draft is a great win for Cleveland. And I'm not talking about the football; I'm talking about the city, because the prospect of Cleveland having to follow the gamesmanship sad and the bright lights of Vegas to host the NFL draft, yep. uh, I thought it was going to be a real letdown and a real bummer for the city of Cleveland. The people would be like, well, oh, it was okay, but man, it wasn't Vegas. Ooh, it wasn't, you know, Nash Vegas before. I mean, it was just Cleveland. So in this sense, this is actually a win for the city of Cleveland because there was a draft uh, celebration this year. It comes back next year and it's in Cleveland, so it'll be a much bigger deal in person for a lot of people than it would have been coming off of a Vegas draft. So from the city standpoint, getting to sort of re-kick it off, and now Vegas, they've announced that Vegas will now host in 22 to make up for what they lost this year. Um, what a great win for the city of Cleveland to not have to follow all that, to sort of be the ones to kick it off and to sort of reinvent it. So, I, you know, Make lemonade with lemons. I, I, I think it's a great opportunity uh, for Northeast Ohio, so I'm kind of excited about it. I agree, and uh, I'm looking forward to getting a chance to do 
uh, something like this in person with both of you guys next year with, uh, with Jason coming in. And uh, clearly we have a lot to look forward to with it coming to America's North Coast next year. In terms of this year, how it went, uh, as I referenced before, you can find it at the FDH Lounge Multimedia Magazine, the FDHLounge.blogspot.com. The 2020 FDH NFL Draft Rankings, I'm just going to give you the top 10 out of the three different categories, and we'll, we'll go through and we'll talk about how different teams did on this. First of all, raw numerical rankings. This is simply just off of the Jason Jones Top 75 overall, 75 points to the top player on the list, all the way down to one point for the 75th guy on the list. Here's how teams did on that. Number one, Miami. Number two, Jacksonville, tied for third between Dallas and the Giants. Five, Carolina. Six, the L.A. Chargers. Tie for seventh between Minnesota and Washington. And a tie for ninth between uh, Cleveland and Dallas. Uh, up next is the rankings based on team needs, uh, how teams did on that. One, Houston. Tie for second, Cleveland and Minnesota. Fourth, Detroit. Fifth, Jacksonville. Tie for sixth, Arizona, Atlanta, Miami. Tie for ninth, L.A. Chargers, New York Jets. And then the mashup of the other rankings, balancing top talent overall with what teams did to address their needs. Uh, tie for first, three-way tie, Detroit, Jacksonville, Miami. Number four, Minnesota. Five, Cleveland. Six, the L.A. Chargers. Seven, Carolina. Tie for eighth between Houston and Washington. Tie for tenth between Arizona and Dallas. So... Uh, Jason, I know you and I talked off-air a bit about Miami and in terms of uh, how they were just overwhelming in terms of the number of uh, top players taken. Six players out of your top 75 overall. Not all of those were for the, the areas of greatest need, which is why they didn't score as highly in that category, but they got excellent depth in those areas and got a ton of value and really just dominated uh, the overall standings just in terms of the top players available. The thing with uh, Miami that's so interesting is it was a good job on multiple fronts. Um, straight out of the gate, uh, love, 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 love days one and two. Top one. Um, based on what they got, where they got them, what they, you know, conceivably are giving up to get them, all that stuff. I'm one of the people that didn't hesitate on Tua. I get it. I know he's, he's coming off of a, a rough injury. But Miami has to be good in a while, so let's, let's not rush it and just get the best talent player you need there. And I think they got that. Uh, Austin Jackson was, was probably my number five outside the big four. Uh, so that's solid. And what really is incredible, I mean, you don't hear this from me very much, is Robert Hunt from Louisiana, and then, uh, oh, geez, uh, a little here, uh, Solomon Kinley mm -hmm. from Georgia. Yes. Really trying to, trying to, well, it feels like they're trying to fit the offensive line, most of all, which would be nice. Um, and then Raekwon Davis, who's the guy I loved last year, if you, if you guys recall. Yep. Uh, you get him, middle of the second when you probably are looking at late first, early second last year, if he'd come out. Uh, so real solid all around. Even the uh, corner from Auburn I liked a lot. Uh, now he's not up in that Ohio State place range where you're getting, um, oh, geez, Akuda uh, and uh, Arnett. But after that, he's right in there, right in that top 
So, by the way, I uh, just caught this quick misstatement on my part here. I mentioned Dallas twice in the top ten for top overall talent. They're actually tied for ninth. It's Detroit that was tied for third with Dallas and the Giants just on the top 75 scale. And that actually leads me, Chris, to uh, something I want to ask you about, which is there are some teams that we see up on the list here that might be a little bit more predictable in the, in the top ten. Uh, even a team like Dallas, which has had some pretty decent uh, success in drafting over the years, Minnesota. Uh, Miami is not as surprising, perhaps, because they've got one year under their belts with this regime, and they did pretty good last year. But you, you have a number of teams that you might not necessarily expect to see this high up there. Uh, Jacksonville, notwithstanding my fondness for Tony Khan as a wrestling promoter, they haven't been that great at drafting in recent years. Uh, same thing with Detroit, uh, the New York Giants. Dave Gettleman is usually a favorite punching bag of mine. Uh, Washington, I understand that it's a, it's a new day there, and it's it's Ron Rivera calling the shots as opposed to the dweebs that they've had ever since they ran Scott McClellan out of there. But uh, the, the top ten has some faces in there uh, in terms of the pure talent that they were able to acquire that we're not necessarily as used to seeing. Well, I think that's... Uh, I think you're right, and I think everything Jason said about Miami is uh, spot on. Um, you know, the uh, the other one that I think, you know, I want to I want to focus on a couple, and I know one of these is not in your top ten, but yeah. uh, unfortunately for Browns fan, um, and again, some of this is just somehow how the metrics work. But um, I really thought the Ra- I, I thought the Ravens just crushing this draft. Right. Um, I just, I just thought that they were picking up uh, amazing value uh, every step of the way. And, and I don't know, I, I didn't total up how many picks they had, but, but God, it felt like that there was like, uh, you know, every, every five minutes Baltimore was adding another future menace for the Cleveland Browns to have to deal with. Um, it was very deflating for me as a Browns fan. Yeah. Watching them just absolutely slay this draft. Um, I thought Ozzy Newsom retired. Uh, he was phoning it in from Alabama. Why not? <laughs> um, uh, so the other one that I, you know, and again, staying on the theme of the woe is us, uh, and I thought the Bengals really did well. Oh, yeah. I, you know, I, so I thought they I had it. another team that somehow, I don't know if that's, uh, you know, they're close having an effect on Mike Brown, um, but they, they were grabbing um, absolute um, amazing talent at the top of every round. Um, you know, I know most Wilson had gotten them, which we're all high on, a lot of fans were high on, you know. And every round started off with me, you know, sort of crying about the fact that the Bengals were stealing somebody I wanted. Right. Uh, so it was kind of like tears about coffee kind of thing. 
Um, so that's, you know, I, I think that bodes well for the AFC North in the future because in your top ten, um, the Cleveland Browns, I thought, um, I thought this regime did really well. I'm giving it a plus. Some of PFF is on as far to say uh, today that they're ranking them as an A-plus wow. based on their board yep. and their fact that the Browns, uh, you know, the value, which you're always talking about, Rick. That's right. Um, and that's including the fact that PFF is not high on people's shelves. Um, so they gave him an A-plus regardless. Um, I thought the Browns, uh, I thought they, they clearly were disciplined, stuck to their board, uh, tackling me directly and fast come to them. It showed an amazing amount of discipline and professionalism that we haven't seen there in a long time. Dropping down a few spots, still getting dealt it out of Louisiana State, and adding the fifth-round pick to pick up Harris, your future, potentially your future center, or at least center, backup center and guard depth. Uh, you had no pick. A guy who was a two-time um, uh, all-pack 12 first team in the last two years. Um, just for moving down three spots and getting the guy you wanted anyway. Uh, what what discipline, um, and we haven't seen in a long time. So I think again, just like the theme of this offseason has been with the Browns, um, I really like what this front office and staff is doing in terms of where they're who they're valuing and how they're being, how they're going about building this roster. So uh, you know, that was a big test for for Browns fans this past weekend. Was let's see how they how they do this, and they pass. They pass with flying colors. Well, and I want to ask you a follow-up question, Chris, before I go to Jason, because, again, you mentioned about Baltimore, and it is true. That's the one thing that none of these systems truly capture is uh, how you're doing as far as uh, acquiring depth in areas where you don't necessarily uh, have holes. But that's a thing where, again, if you're going to be a championship-level team, you have to have a lot of depth. You look at Philadelphia a couple of years ago when they won the Super Bowl and how much depth that they had. And that was sort of Baltimore style, more so in this draft. They weren't so much going out there and filling gaping holes, and uh, they didn't have any super high picks. So they were only going to be able to do so well on the top 75 overall uh, r rankings. But uh, they did very well in those ways that were essentially non-traditional as far as how we look at this. There aren't too many teams that are in a position to be able to do that. But I will say this, and this ties into your Browns comments that in the third round, again, subsequently, the Browns did get a linebacker, finally, for which I was very happy. But when they got Jordan Elliott, the defensive tackle from Missouri, that was a very good value. I know PFF certainly thought it was a great value. But that was one of those things at the moment where I was kind of screaming for a linebacker. And like I said, thankfully, they were able to do it later. But that was more reminiscent of what teams like Baltimore was doing and what San Francisco did in the first round when they, they took a replacement for Buckner, even without Buckner, they have a tremendous defensive line. You wouldn't look at it and think, oh, they need to go and get a replacement for him right there, because they, they could have replaced him from within, but they built onto an area where they were already strong and got stronger. Baltimore did that with their whole draft. The Browns did that in the third round uh, with the pick of uh, Jordan Elliott and uh, maybe once or twice other times in the draft as well, in areas where they didn't have holes but in getting stronger. So that's a thing where that might bode well for the future with the Browns. 
Turning to you on the subject of the Browns, Jason, because I know you got some thoughts. The Browns are always one of the most interesting stories of the NFL draft. The one caveat that I would give, off I haven't looked it up specifically, but off the top of my head, the Browns a lot of times in recent years have fared well in our draft rankings uh, afterwards. So that, that tells me that uh, sometimes there are just players that all of us draft haunts miss on. And the Browns appear to be getting a disproportionate number of those. But I think a lot of it comes down to player development as well, where, where the Browns have just been utter shite in player development for the last 20 years. So some of it is going to be you have to take this raw clay and make something out of it. That's going to be the challenge with them going forward. But leaving aside that depressing prospect of some of these guys potentially not making it, 